0: As you can see there on the screen, um, it's one of the images from this past week that's just um, been indebted upon my heart and mind. And what you see there is Ukrainian believers kneeling on that cold pavement there on Thursday morning as the Russians begin to make their way into their country, attacking them. And I think that moment is a stark contrast to what we're so often used to seeing and praising. And it's this truth that this is really a moment of weakness. I mean, there's no nukes. There's no tanks. They have no guns. I mean, they're bowing in in a sign of submission, not in rebellion. And it's a moment of reminder that they are praying and calling out to the God who is able, that there's a God who is their strength that no one else may see and be aware of, but they are calling out and crying out to him that he might act on their behalf. It's a sign of submission. And I think that really parallels well as we come into Genesis chapter one this morning and we begin to look at God's creation to realize that God, the invisible God, speaks and the entire world leaps into existence. And what we see is not rebellion to our creator, but submission, joyful submission as everything comes into a beam as this God simply speaks it's this moment of reminder as we look at Genesis 1 that Moses again writes these words and he's there with the people of Israel as they've made their way out of Egypt and wandering in the wilderness. And he speaks to them. Why? Because they've spent time in Egypt. They know what the gods there that they worship and they're walking and, and beside, encountering all these other nations and people who worship all these other gods. And the temptation will to be to begin thinking that those gods are the ones that we ought to worship. Maybe we should worship the sun or worship the moon or worship these other gods of creation who brought everything out of this watery chaos. And and Moses instead writes and says, guys, I want you to know the truth of who your God is. Who is this creator God? And so he writes here in the book of Genesis in the first 11 chapters telling us about the story prior to Abraham and prior to the patriarchs and everything unfolding, how it began in the beginning it's this moment, I think, the temptation for the people of Moses' day, and similar to our temptation, is refuse to submit to God. We begin to pursue other things, thinking that somehow those things will satisfy, those gods will bring what we need. And Moses writes back and says to us, guys, when everything and everyone submits to the Word of God, it's really good. When everyone and everything Submits to the word of God. It's really good. This morning we're, we're going to be facing a, a rather large section of text, verses 2 through 25, and here in Genesis 1 and how the creation calls us to submit. We're going to ask, well, how did God create and what did he create? And finish by asking, well, why did he create it? And we wrestle with big things and things that are, we may even disagree upon. But it's important that we, again, look to God's word, hearing how the creation calls us to submit to God. And this first truth comes out is, well, how did God create the world? He created the world simply by speaking. Therefore, we are to submit to God's word because he alone can transform us. He alone, as Paul says in Romans, he can bring things to existence that are not. It's this mighty God. And so listen to begin to the Word of God here as we begin in Genesis chapter 1. Beginning in verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. He begins by saying to us that... This world is without form and, and, and it's void. And, and those are the very things that Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 23, is Jeremiah looks and he sees Judah devastated as these other nations come in and the Babylonians are, are wrecking things. And as he looks out, he just sees this devastation unfolding. There's no inhabitants of the land. And in some ways, it reminds us of what's here. No, there's no sin and chaos, but there's without form and void. There's no people. It's, it's not yet inhabited. And, and so he sees this. And he says further that that darkness was over the face of the deep. Well, why is there darkness there? Well, the reality is there's not yet light as we're going to see there in verse 3 and and there it is, it's just the entire earth is covered by water. And in some ways the earth is is functioning like this wilderness, right? It it's it's dark, it's seemingly disorganized and the question comes, well, how will God bring order to this? How will God transform this Place that's without form and void, and darkness is over the surface of the deep. How will God do that? By His Word and His Spirit. Look what it says: The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This word that see there for hovering is the same word that Deuteronomy thirty-two eleven uses as it speaks about this eagle that hovers over its nest and provides for the little ones that are there it's god who's present with his creation and he's he's present going to act and so the spirit of god is there hovering over the face of the waters and then comes this moment and god said you see this is going to be a refrain that's going to be repeated in verses 6 and 9 and 11 and 14 and 20 and 24 and 26 and 28 and 29 10 times god speaks eight of those 10 he speaks and there's nothing and after he speaks there's something and it's whatever he says. The other two times that God speaks, it, it's whatever he says actually comes to pass. It's this moment here, God speaking, and man, there's no light, there's only darkness, and bam, there's light. It's this moment of reminder that every person and everything is in submission to the Word of God. There's no rebellion, just submission. And the Bible's going to say it's good. You see, it's important to realize that it's not forced submission or a reluctant submission. But this is submission as it should be. That God speaks and we humbly bow and obey. This is how God created things to be. And as you're going to see in a moment, this is just good. It's good. It's good. It's good. I think we think of this world as this God of all-powerful, of creation and rebellion. But what we see throughout the Old Testament is this is God who has this power and authority, not just simply when there's no sin and rebellion. He has power and authority over all things throughout all time. You see, even when the people are in Egypt, He, he goes in and He brings these plague after plague after plague, these signs of judgment, and then... Following that, he leads the people out, and then he parts the Red Sea and leads them through on dry ground, saying that he is the God who has all authority in heaven and earth. His power, his might. But then, God in the flesh steps on the scene. Jesus, this true Lamb of God, the Son of God, he comes, and he walks into scenes that we think are impossible. Moments like when he walks in with that little girl who's dead, and he simply says to her, Talithacumbe. Little girl, I say to you, arise. And he takes her by the hand, and this dead girl comes back to life. Moments when we see Jesus driving out again, the darkness and bringing the light, because again, the light speaks of of, of God's goodness, of his salvation throughout. And so yes, there's physical light coming, but we see in Christ that the true spiritual light has come. And so when he, he's there, and we see the man who's paralyzed, let down through the roof, and, and Jesus says to that man, son, your sins are forgiven. And the audience begins to scurry, and this is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus says he knows the the thoughts and the words that they're saying. And he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Rise, take your mat, and go home. And it says the man, in full view of them all, rises, takes his mat, and goes home. It's just two glimpses. But man, they are major glimpses where Jesus says to us, guys, what was In Genesis chapter 1, prior to the creation and fall, I know it's not now. But this is a glimpse of what was, it will be again. You see, Jesus is coming to renew and redeem the creation. He's coming to bring about a new heaven and a new earth. And those are just glimpses, moments that we gravitate and grab to and say, Oh, behold our God, who is like Him. And see, it's just beautiful moments when everything and everyone submits to the Word of God. It's really good. It's really good. I think in light of this, we need to ask, well, how does God bring order today? How does he restore the chaos that we find ourselves in? And might we ask, is there something that we need to give? Well, what did the creation have to give? It didn't even exist. It just responded. I mean, what what did the dead girl, what could she have given? She's dead. What's that paralyzed man have to give? He has nothing. And yet in each of those moments, a reminder, God in his goodness desires to give to us. This is a good God, a God that we don't have to bring. What can I bring? Do I have enough financially? Am I good enough a person? Have I done enough right things that God will somehow accept me? No, God is a free giver. He is a giver of grace and mercy, not because we've earned or deserved it, but because of his great love. This is the God of creation. Paul speaks about that as we shared earlier in our time of prayer and confession. In Acts chapter 17, 17, Paul says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Notice what he says. Since he himself gives to all mankind. Notice what he gives us. He gives us life and breath and everything. And the purpose, he says, is, again, as we heard earlier, that we might seek God, that we might actually find him. But contemplate that for a moment. Think about it. It's God who gave you life and breath and everything the fact that you have eyes this morning that you see is a gift from god that you can smell those waffles bonta boys and that syrup it's a gift from god the fact that you are hearing right now god's word it is a gift beloved that you are able to taste that you have been able to touch and embrace maybe others that you love with or see and come close to others in this body of christ do you see that god is the good giver And we realize, guess what, in light of that, we realize that we are feeble and broken. Because, see, some of you don't see as you once did. Others of you don't hear as you once heard. Others of you are reminded that things are not physically right, and you are hurt, and you are broken. And Jesus steps in, and Paul says to us, guys, do not forgive that this God is declaring to us what once was, is not now, but it will be again. And it's the redemption that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, brings. And therefore, we should seek Him. Therefore, all right, it's it's what He says in verse 27, that we might find Him. That's why God has placed you here, that you might come to know and worship Him. And it's, guess what? It's this all-powerful word where God just simply says over and over and over again throughout Genesis 1, and the creation leaps into existence. So we're asking, again, Right there, see how God created the world. He created through his spoken word. And therefore, we ought to submit to God and his word to be transformed. But secondly, and this is a larger section of Genesis 1, what did God create? Well, we've been working with our kids on just simply these little songs or catechism. That just simply means it has a question and answer. And we, one of the questions is, what did God create? And the song goes, he created everyone and everything. Right? I'm not going to sing it because it will not go well. But listen, that's who he is. We just want our kids just to hear those songs and be reminded, what, who is this God? He's the creator of everyone and everything. And that's what it says here. And so therefore, because of who this God is and what he has created, we ought to submit to him. Because guess what? He actually knows what's best for us. So let's walk through just for a moment through the days of creation. Again, this is not going to do justice to all that's here, but this gives you a glimpse of what's happening. You see, we have here in the beginning of verse 3 that God on day one creates the light. God is so good that He wants us to see. Consider that. I mean, this this is a good God. This is a God who wants you to see. So therefore, He creates light. God says, let there be light, and there's light. And God saw that the light was good, and He separates the light from the darkness. And He calls the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. You see, God's continually separating the light from the darkness. This is an ongoing theme throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And we see it no more clearly than in John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus says, I am the light of what, church? The world. Whoever, listen to this, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Never. He's calling us out. And so, again, when we see the light being separated from the darkness, God is good. He desires that you and I would see. On day two, we're picking up verses six through eight. Guess what? We have God creating the sea and the sky. Why? Because God is so good. He wants you and I to see His glory and His majesty. Listen to what happens beginning in verse six. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. God separates the water and the sky from the seas and the rivers. Contemplate that for a moment. Do you contemplate His majesty and His glory? I know some of you here, you love to be on the river, floating or fishing or just being a part of it. Do you consider the great majesty of God in that? For others of you, when you find yourself with your your feet in the ocean and your feet touching that sand as the waves crash on you, do you contemplate anew? The majesty and the awesomeness of God. It's a God who separated the waters in the sky from the waters below. Why? Because He's good. And He's revealing His glory and His majesty to us. On day three, God creates the land and vegetation. Why? Because God is good and He wants to provide for you. God is good and He wants to provide for you. And so listen to what He does there, beginning in verse 9. And God said, again, do you hear the refrain? And God said, and God said, and God said. He said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And so this is the formation, right, of land and earth and the waters being separated. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas. There's not just one sea, seemingly seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, listen to what he does here. Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruits, trees bearing fruit in which in their which in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So God separates land and sea, and he tells the plants to begin growing and providing. Why? For his people. You see, I so often when we eat, we as a family just bow. And man, at times, I'll just be honest with you, the last, I don't know, seem like a month or two, I've just been humbled. So we bow to pray, just Reminding my own soul and that of my bride and that of my children. God, if you you didn't provide this right now, we wouldn't eat. This is from you. I want to remind my own soul because I have a tendency, just like Mark, maybe to puff my chest. I want my children to be reminded. that guess what? Dad has a job and works and mom does these things and we work. But the reality is all of this ultimately comes from God. Why? Because James 1 says so. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. If you have the job to provide for that food, it's because God gave you that job. And you don't think it? He can take your health away in a moment. Everything that you and I have, beloved, every meal that you sit down and partake it ought to be a response. Thank you, God. You who provided in Genesis 1 on day 3 are still providing. Indeed, you are, as you said, the same yesterday, today and what church? Forever. And see, if he's provided... Yesterdays and today's, are we failing to trust that He'll also provide for tomorrow? Hmm, this God is good. Day four, God creates the sun, the moon, and stars. Why? To show again His glory, but He also provides order to our lives. Look what happens beginning in verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two greater lights the greater light to rule the day which we know is the what the sun yeah and the lesser light to rule the night which we call the moon and the stars you be say well then why didn't he say it well because the reality is as moses lives right there in the midst of the wilderness there are all kinds of other nations and they worship the sun and he's just simply gently reminding them guys come on you're worshiping the creation rather than the creator he created the sun. How majestic and awesome must he be? Now you start to ring in your ears, right? You know, oh man, when they were in Egypt, there was darkness over the land. Why? Because God shut out the dark out the sun. Why? To say to them, that's not God, I'm God. God's just revealing His glory and His majesty. So when you see the plagues in Egypt, it's a revelation. God's just attacking God after God after God after God to say, they're not God, they're not God, they're not God. I am God. And you say, well, who is this God? Behold on the cross your sin upon His shoulders. Indeed, you might even hear your mocking voice cry out among the scoffers. But the truth is, it was our sin that held Him there until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought us life. It's a free gift. It's by grace today that you might be saved through faith. It is nothing of yourself. It is the gift of the God of glory and creation displayed fully in the Son of God who bled in your place and suffered the wrath and judgment of God and was buried on the third day by the power of God raised again. This is the God who is good. But notice again about this. And and, and look what happens here. Let's, Let's rewind it just for a moment verse 14 and so he talks about how these lights and the sun the sun the moon the stars how everything's working together look what he says and let them be notice what he says for signs and for seasons for days and for years you see as the sun comes up man what a moment we contemplate the sun shining it's a reminder that a new day has begun why because that's how god created it his mercy is new what church every morning Praise God. I mean, are you in need of mercy today? Hallelujah. This God never changes. But have you ever wondered why do we have seasons? Genesis chapter one answers that for you because God created it that way. He created an earth that is tilted and spinning on its axis. And at some points it's further away. But praise God for most of us, we're pretty happy about what's coming, right? Because we're making our way closer to the sun, right? Journeying towards spring and towards summer and and fall. And I'm sure there's some of this crowd who like winter the best. And praise God for you guys, right? But the reminder is, listen, whether it's your favorite season or it's your least favorite season, God created it and it's good. And you ought to praise and give Him glory. Well, day five. Guess what happens there on day five, beginning in verse twenty to twenty-three? And it God creates the fish and the birds. God's beginning to fill up the creation. Why? Because God is good. And guess what? He creates all these creatures to worship him. Look what happens. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. And all the fishermen said. As you behold all these great sea creatures and all these majestic creatures, that God has created them. When you look out and you see the bird in flight, beloved, and you see it flying there in the sunrise or the sunset as the backdrop, and it's just this amazing picture. It ought to move your heart to say, man, behold my God. All of them under His rule. But guess what? Psalm 148 says, I, I don't know if you realize it or not, but they aren't created by accident. It's not just for you and I to take a look at. In fact, these creatures are praising God. Listen to what Psalm 148, beginning verse 3 says, Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps. Verse 10, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and all flying birds. And he goes on to say in verse 11, kings, and those are not kings. Old men and children, young men and old women he says listen i want everything to praise the lord that's why we we're created beloved as you look in some amazing way all the creatures of creation are giving glory and praise to god that's what Psalm 148 does it just compels so it reveals his glory his goodness you see all that leads to day 6 where god creates animals and mankind and God is so good that he creates us in his image. No, we're not going to have time to walk through this, but Lord willing, if you'll be back next week, we're going to walk through what's it mean that we're created in God's image. And there's all kinds of implications for gender and all these things and, and disorders and all the stuff that we struggle with and all these things that, man, it's going to be so rich. I hope that and pray. I want to encourage you to be praying that God will use that message. But listen, uh, so we don't have time today, but I just want to give you a glimpse. Day six. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them listen again. Here's some of the reflections have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. God is revealing his glory, creating us in his image because he is good. And again, it has so many complexities to it. that We're going to come to next week. But I wonder, did you notice that at the end of each of these statements, there was this statement here, verse five, and there was evening, there was morning, the first day, first day, verse eight, the same thing, verse 13, verse 19, verse 23, right? Just on and on, even into verse 31, where we read there's evening, there's morning, the sixth day. And it's this word, right? that kind of creates all this question about what is actually meant by the word day. Is that a 24 hour day? Is this some period or age of time like what exactly is meant by that word day and it has created all kinds of discussion and even division over it the question really is is how old is the earth like when did all this begin and i'm going to do my best this morning just to give you maybe two of the major views that i think are both biblical and held fast by solid biblical believers there are others that i could present like historical creationism and different ones that if you want to pursue further have more discussion we'd love to but i wanted to share maybe just two of them with you The first is old earth creationism. This is a view that the earth and the universe is millions or even billions of years old. But they don't hold this view simply because they think this is what science points to. But this is their interpretation of the Hebrew word yom. That's the word day. You see the word day. Yes, it can mean a 24 hour day, but there are moments and times in the Bible when the word day speaks of this span or age or era of time. And so they view that, guess what, when you come to Genesis chapter 1, when you hear the word day, you're hearing about an era of time. It's not a view that, that affirms evolution. They, bl- they don't believe that species evolved into new species, right? Who are people maybe that hold this view? Well, there's some great theologians like Wade Grudem or D.A. Carson or J.I. Packer. I mean, these guys are elite, top-shelf brothers. And they hold this. What are some strengths? Well, the strengths, I think, of this view are similar to the next, Young Earth Creation Both of them take God at his word and they seek for him to be the authority over our knowledge of creation. They give God credit and glory for what he's created and they elevate science to the exploration of God's workmanship. And they realize that, guess what, ultimately all truth is God's truth. And so science either going to affirm it or one day will affirm what God's word says. Maybe what are some weaknesses is maybe you're here and you think, well, am I an old earth or a young earth or maybe I've not contemplated it? I think some of the weaknesses are that it's the days are numbered in Genesis, right? I mean it says they have evening and there was morning. It's kind of hard, right? Secondly, Exodus chapter twenty, verse eight to eleven. You just scribble it down and go read it. It seems to speak of creation in six normal days, and that one's pretty compelling to me, just being honest. But again, each of these, right, as you talk about a weakness, if you talk with an old earth creationist, they would have a response, just as a young earth one would. Doesn't and listen, I think the third weakness is, is it doesn't offer great solutions for some of the chronological problems that unfold here and part of the creation and how things are happening. So that's the old earth creationists. There are those also who are young earth creationists, right? They read Genesis 1 and they say, guess what? There was evening, there was morning, that's a day. They think it's a literal 24-hour day. I'll be honest with you, I tend to lead in this direction, but I know I know this, that none of these views are bulletproof. They all have challenges, Right? But they see each day is 24 hours long, and so therefore the view is the earth is 6,000, maybe to a max of 20,000 years old. You might have heard of people like Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis. President Al Mohler at Southern Seminary holds to this, or a great uh, Puritan, John Owen, held to this view. There is some variation in this view where some folks think that six hours had was born with the appearance of age, and so or the six days, the 24 hours had the appearance of age. And so just as Adam and Eve didn't show up as babies, but showed up as, as developed men and women so that the earth was formed with this maturity already involved. Again, similar to the other, it takes God's word and lets him be the authority over creation. It gives God credit and glory for what he's done. And it elevates science just to the exploration of God's workmanship. What are some of the weaknesses? Well, Some believe that it conflicts with modern science and dating methods and there's all kinds of arguments and fight over carbon dating and things that are happening. We also have to acknowledge for those who hold this view, there's a lot happening on Genesis on day six. Right. I mean, there's a lot of things where God plants the garden and the man's there and then Eve's created and then he brings all the animals to them and he names them. And I know there's, again, responses to each of these, but we have to be honest, there's challenges no matter what view you hold to. And so I say all that to say this, again, because I think we have to real deal with some of those. And if you want to talk more, let's, let's do it. But I think it's important that as you come to Genesis chapter 1, the reminder is that everyone and everything is to submit to God. And so this imagery might be helpful. Closed-fisted and open-handed. You see, there's some things in this hand right here that are just closed fisted, like that this is actually the true word of God, that Jesus Christ is the true son of God who gave his life and died and buried and raised on the third day and only salvation can be found in him. But then there's things that are more open handed about our faith, like how does the end times unfold? And what about the thousand year reign and those different things in Revelation that we might fight or argue over? In fact, as we come to Genesis chapter one and whether we see it as a young earth or old earth, guess what? There's just things that are open handed that we just can disagree on and debate about. But I want to be remindable to us as a congregation that we don't let open handed issues become close handed issues. And we don't let close handed issues become open handed things. So let's remind ourselves that as we submit to God, let's be humble and generous in our debates with one another. So, again, we have all of this unfolding before us. And so we've seen again, how did God create the world? He spoke it in existence. What did God create? God created everyone and everything. And I think the third and last question in, as we come to a close, is this. Why did God create the world? And the answer comes back to us that God created the world for His glory and our good. You see, throughout this this story of the creation, what you hear is this ongoing refrain. Right at the end of each day, God saw that the light was good, and God saw that it was good, and it was good, it was good, it was good. And then it comes to that climactic moment there in verse 31, where it simply says this. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. That's what we have been saying. When everyone and everything submits to the word of God, it's really good. Church, this means that God didn't fail in what he set out to do. He set out to create a creation that would honor and glorify him. And guess what? It's accomplishing that purpose. No, guess what? We've been in rebellion, and, and the curse has come since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And the question is, how might we glorify God? Is the creation still good? How are we to perceive it? How do we re- to interact with this? Well, Paul writes in fact, on those very issues. And look what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in 1 f- Timothy chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. For everything created by God is good. You're like, oh, that's Genesis language. Yeah. And nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So Paul just compels us, guys. We are to enjoy the creation. Right? Some of you folks, man, are, are sunrise and sunsets. My mom is a moon person. I've got more pictures of the moon, right, and sunsets. And she's like, oh, this is so beautiful. Have you all seen it tonight? We're all like, mom, thank you, right? No, we're not looking. But listen, no, I mean, like, we all have things about the creation. They're just like, man, that's awesome. But the reminder is, listen, Paul says it's good. We are to enjoy it, but we aren't to worship it. In fact, all of that simply points us to the Creator God, and that's what He's saying. So listen, enjoy the sunrise. Or the sunset, the ocean at your feet, as you see the bird in flight, or that deer walking below your deer stand. Yes. Take a moment and watch those ants packing all that stuff and think, how in the world can something that small or pause and see the spider spin its web and like, wow, or slow down. Just enough to see the dog playing with your grandchildren in the yard and just like, man, God, you created all of this. It was good. You see, this morning I realized that there are probably those in this room that are not Christ followers. And your life is full of chaos and disorder. And you don't trust that God is actually good and generous. You see, you don't think God's actually open handed with anything. You, you see that God is this tight fisted God, this God of rules. And you better bow. And so therefore, you've lived a life that's pretty self-centered and self-seeking. But might I ask just, just kindly, how's that going for you? Has it brought you the pleasure and joy that you want? Yeah, maybe in the moment, but I'm just saying long term. Maybe the fact that you're here this morning indicates that it hasn't satisfied like you thought it would. And you're searching. You're longing for something else. Acts 17 says that there's a God who indeed is desiring that you might seek Him and find Him. I compel you this morning that the God who brought Transformation from this creation as the God who can transform your life. And just as Paul said in Acts 17, beloved, God in his former times overlooked ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent to believe on His Son. You can't rescue yourself. But today I plead with you to see the Son of God, the Creator who became flesh, who gave His life. Isn't that amazing? The God of Genesis 1, the Creator of all things, who Colossians 1 says, all things were created by Him and for Him. That God goes and dies for you. You'll find no other religion like that. There's no other one where the God who comes flesh and He dies for sinners who are in rebellion against Him. Church, behold your God. Oh, believer, I compel you and urge you with all that's in me today. Believe on Jesus Christ and you might be saved. To the church this morning. Know that God has given us his word for his glory and our good. Might we gladly, like the creation, submit to it? So I want to ask you just one simple question, church. In what area of your life right now are you failing to submit to the word of God? The other question is, what are you going to do about it? Will you repent, turning from your sin and looking to Christ? Beloved, I want to let you know for those who do, what you'll find is, is that it's really good. Because when everyone and everything submits to the word of God, it's really good. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the joy of preaching your word. Oh, Lord. As I trembled this morning, as I considered how feeble this manuscript and these words that I had put together, oh God, just trusting that you would see fit to give life to these feeble words, that you would cause the people of God's heart to burn for the gospel, that they would be in awe of their Creator, and they would be just devout in their worship and submission and surrender to Jesus Christ who gave their life for Him. Father, I pray also for those in this room this morning, but I've been praying, God, but i've been calling out to you that they would show up this morning who have yet to bow their knee oh god that they might in this place seeing the god of all creation the god of glory who gave us life for them oh god would they bow oh lord i pray today please god please god i don't desire that they would they would perish oh god as you said but they all might come to repentance oh god i Thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope of the gospel that's been set before them. And now I call out to you, please, please, Father, urge them forward by the truth of your word. that They might behold the God of glory, King Jesus himself. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. amen. We invite you this morning to come and to worship. Come and bow before the God of all creation, urging you to respond to the gospel.
1: She's sure. sure.